listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Chris Lopez here, and welcome to our third House Hacking Virtual Mastermind. This is a continuation idea we had months ago. COVID hit, screwed things up doing it in person. So we've pivoted going to virtual the best we can. And so we got a couple of people here in the studio with us. So I've got myself and my two co-hosts. So first co-host is Ben Einspar. You guys know he's actively house hacking with a mother-in-law suite. Uh, in Arvada, we got Airbnb stuff. Ben, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Excited for this third, uh, this third podcast. I know it's going to be good. Second co-host here is Jeff White, who's on what House Act number four now, right? Yeah, yeah man, he's going to break the record here from Joe Massey <laughs> eventually. Jeff, glad to have you here in the, in the studio, man. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here, and uh, yeah, I'm super pumped to uh, talk a little house hacking today. Yeah, so we're going to hopefully keep it loose, keep it fun, and. Uh, go with some good details. So, can I go through our guest here in no particular order? But our first guest is Kevin Maine. Kevin never spent too much time in one place and always hated the idea of paying rent since he was never home. So, while he was aware of house hacking, COVID gave him the time to do some more in depth research. So, he realized that not only was that a, an attainable goal, but also a prudent one after that. So, he plans to pursue his real estate investing full time. Kevin, glad to have you on here, man. Hey guys, really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Our next guest is Noel. And Noel originally planned to buy a single family home to live in for a few years and then ultimately turn it into a rental. And that changed after learning what financial independence could really mean for her future. She thought it was not possible, but now with House Act number one underway and closing soon, she realizes how wrong she was. Noel, how's it going? Hi, good. Glad to be here. Yes, glad to have you here. And then uh, Patrick. Patrick purchased his first house hack uh, about a year and a half ago, and he's currently closing on a second house hack, and that's tomorrow, right, Patrick? That is tomorrow, yeah. So house hack number two closes tomorrow, and so he believes house hacking is one of the best ways to build wealth, and he recently started writing about his wealth-building journey at examinedwealth.com, which we need to talk about eventually too, Patrick. Um, how are you doing, man? I'm well, thanks. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And last but not least is Vasily. He moved to Denver just a few months ago. And after living in Seattle for four years for his tech gig, he fell in love with Denver. And I'm guessing the sunny skies out here. Uh, so he, he bought his first house act very quickly in, or I'm sorry, his first house act in September, which was a duplex. So he's going to house hack it with the plans of nomading his ways to financial independence. So he became interested in investing and house hacking after getting plugged into bigger pockets and the Choose FI podcast a few years ago. And as I say, the rest is history. But silly, glad to have you here, man. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. All right. So I did the intros, Ben. I lost the agenda. What are we starting with? <laughs> Told you I want to throw some curveballs, man. Um, perfect. So <laughs> after, after the uh, second mastermind, as we talk about, let's switch things up. So I definitely wanted to do that. And one thing that I love hearing about is everyone, everyone has their own why for house hacking, right? Everyone has their own reasons. Jeff, I'm sure you, when you first developed and came up with house hacking, you had a reason and a purpose and an end goal in mind, right? Yes. And that's, that's 
that's what that's what I like I like here. And actually, even as you go through, it can it can change and it can develop as you go and as you get further down the road. And that's one thing I wanted to start off and just informally talk about um, about if you just ex- uh, tell us about your maybe your some of your short term, your long term goals, and maybe just your why and how you found out about house hacking. Um, Kevin, you mind starting us up, man? Yeah, sounds good. Um, I'll try not to spend too much time talking about this because I feel like you could go on forever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the goal is I think everybody agrees is financial independence. And, you know, for me, like it said in the intro, I, I've always hated paying rent. Like it always felt like a waste of money. And I've always thought about how to get away from doing that. And so, you know, house hacking was just kind of the obvious answer of being able to have somebody else basically, you know, pay down a mortgage for you. And, you know, I guess short term, you know, it's, it's to live for free and then long-term use these properties to supplement other retirement accounts, you know, whatever it may be, but, but be able to kind of wake up in the morning and do what I want to do for that day rather than, you know, be, be working a job that I hate for 30 years. Right. So, you know, that's kind of the, the short term and long term. And, and I didn't realize when I started on this journey, kind of how interested and, and, you know, dare I say passionate about real estate, I would become doing all the research and everything. So it, it's been a really cool journey and I'm excited to, to continue. Do you have a, uh, a number in mind? A number as far as house hacks. Oh man, I don't, you know, we'll see. I'm hoping to have number two by next summer and then, you know, see where we go after that. Also trying to get my girlfriend on board, but it's a tougher pitch for her. So we'll see if we can swing that one, maybe, maybe another one or two. You, you should definitely have him talk to uh, Patrick and Noel. talk, have her talk to Patrick and Noel. Yes. I know that was, that was, <laughs> That's, I need some more people to get on the convincing train here. I was in her camp too. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and the girl, she's coming around. No, take it away. Get, uh, help, help convince her and the old Allison's out there, which is Ben's wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and tell us about your guys' goals. And, and, and then even Patrick, have, we've talked some really detailed goals. So, so give us some background and, and some tips as to why the significant others should get on board. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it wasn't that I wasn't on board. I think I just had a slower progression. So when I thought about having a ton of debt and a ton of houses to manage, I was like, this is going to be very difficult. And how are we ever going to have enough money to be able to do this in the first place? And that's when I met Patrick and Patrick was like, well, you do this thing called house hacking. And I'm like, what is this thing you call house hacking? And long story short, you know, our goal is hopefully to get to 10 or so properties. We want to pay those down so that we do have financial independence. Um, you know, our plan, and it's not for everyone, but like ultimately we want a family and we want to be able to spend time with that family. Um, and so being able to, you know, to Kevin's point, wake up and not have to worry about going to a nine to five and be able to be intentional about where you spend your time is something that we definitely want for our future. And sorry, Patrick, I'm definitely speaking for you, but you can chime in. <laughs> um, but yeah, and house hacking was a perfect way to be able to do that because we're not paying a ton in rent. I mean, we're not living rent-free, so I envy you, but hopefully we will be living rent-free and hopefully we'll have properties that are paying not only for our primary mortgage, but supplementing our income so that that time that we have is, like I said, the intentional time that we can spend. 
Um, but yeah, it was hard to get on board at first just because it's hard to think about the amount of money that you put in a down payment on 10 properties. But the beauty about half hacking is you're not putting 20% down on a rental. You're able to go and live in a property, gain those, spend less money, and then have someone else pay the mortgage down. So you're almost getting free assets or you're getting them at a significant discount. Yeah. And then one, one thing that caught my mind is you said you're not necessarily living for free. Do you still feel like that's a win, even though the, it's not covering your full mortgage, but you're living for cheaper? Do you still think that that's a win in your book? Oh, yeah. I mean, or else I wouldn't be closing on a house hack in two weeks. I, all of that happened within the past year of saving up in the house hack that Patrick currently has. So if it wasn't for that and living very significantly discounted, um, there's no way I would have been able to save that money. The best part of all that too is even if you don't live for free or you're you know, paying 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, you're living in a property that you own and you get all the tax benefits, depreciation, right off the interest, uh, pretty much uh, right off the majority of the property. So you're getting all, all these benefits. So really, even if you're paying 500 bucks, 700 bucks uh, to live there, um, you're pretty much getting the great benefit of something, an asset you own and then long term, when you move out, then eventually you'll start cash flowing that property um, and getting more of the cash flow benefits that you know everyone wants. Um, but when you live there, sometimes it's a co- compromise between sacrificing, you know, something you know, privacy versus uh, nice place or nice areas, and you have to kind of weigh each of those factors until you find what works best for you. And it's still cheaper than renting a room in yes. Denver. Correct. I mean, what do you rent your places for? 750 a room. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what's a, what's a standard one bedroom, one bath studio go for? More expensive yeah. than that. <laughs> no, there's yeah. a comma in there. Yeah. Um, so I'll speak for Patrick. He was a great boyfriend and was smiling and nodding the whole time there. Right, Patrick? <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, um, Actually, spend a, a second, Patrick, and talk about the examined wealth you're launching. I think that's really interesting. We were trading some emails about this last week. Just, I think you're doing a really good job in documenting your journey. Plus, your background is in doing some technology and educational stuff. So, you know how to kind of like really help convey and teach people. So, give me and people the background what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to tie that into what we're talking about here. So, I started off my career as a teacher. And um, I had a very low income, and I knew that inevitably, in order to live a life that I wanted to live, um, I would need to figure out ways to subsidize that income elsewhere. And so that got me started in trying to figure out different side hustles and led me to the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, as I'm sure most people on the call have, have read. Uh, and that was, that was a big aha moment for me. And so ever since reading that book and a few other real estate books early on in my career, uh, I was just like set on real estate. But I was financially far further away from that than I thought I would be. Uh, And so in the back of my mind, I was was like, all right, one day I'll have like 300 doors. It'll be awesome. Uh, (laughs) And I had these these like super lofty abstract goals just because I wanted to go big. But I think that over the years and getting uh, you know closer to well, actually a having real estate now and b continuing that journey, um, I look at like what Noel and I are building and the life that we want to have together and, and build long term. And 
we like to play hard. Like we like to work hard, but then on the weekends, we're like outdoors as much as possible, whether it's hiking, camping, backpacking, rafting, skiing. Uh, and, you know, as she mentioned with the family component, like those are things we want to build our lives around long-term. And so it, I think in the past like year and a half or so, my internal script has flipped from like, I want 300 doors to I want enough real estate that provides mm-hmm. uh, respectable cash flow that we can live off of, uh, but not be like this mammoth of a business that we have to run and manage and take time away from the things that are, are truly important in life. And so that has, has uh, really helped guide certain decisions in, in the past handful of months. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that I personally like want to continue exploring. And so the whole concept behind examined wealth is that there, there are two types of wealth that you have in your life, personal wealth and financial wealth. And personal wealth, like our time and our relationships and experiences, are the things that like, we really live for. Uh, and when I hear a lot of people talking about building their financial wealth, it's like with the end goal that I have to have a certain amount of financial wealth in order to do these things that bring me personal wealth. Um, and in my mind, that's kind of like putting the cart before the horse. And so I, I am just trying to raise awareness around the notion that like prioritize your personal wealth along the journey of building financial wealth. Uh, and then there are certain tactics and strategies you can use to build your financial wealth uh, that can align with the way you live your personal wealth now so that you don't feel like you're putting off your, your fulfillment uh, you know, for 10 years from now when you really could have it today. Well said. And I, one thing I can relate to, you were talking about there, Patrick, just starting off with, you know, hey, the goals I want, you know, 300 doors or 500 doors or whatever. I can't remember my, but I had similar, you know, very lofty goals to use, to use that good phrase. But then once you kind of realize, hey, if I have, you know, eight paid off properties, 10 paid off properties, 12 paid off properties, I actually meet what I need, live, live the lifestyle I want, still be able to work towards, you know, bigger, bigger numbers. It becomes a lot more attainable. Like, actually, I can do that. Versus like three hundred doors, yeah. it's like that's a lot harder to do than buying ten properties or twelve properties, whatever right. it is. So, yeah, great, man. All right, last but not least, by silly, what's up? Tell tell us, everyone, just kind of like your longer term goals and things like that, because we know you got into real estate investing from bigger pockets and the Choose Fi podcast, which is you're not the only person to get into real estate investing from those podcasts. Um, what are your long term goals? Sure. Um, quickly before that, I think it's funny how Noel brought up the um, weirdness of the term house hacking. I initially thought that it was like a hacker connecting to a house and trying to hack its security <laughs> system. So I'm definitely with you there. Um, but yeah, it's um, great. <laughs> I'm a software engineer, so I was kind of biased towards that definition. But um, yeah, I want to echo a lot of this stuff that. Um, you know, everybody has said so far, um, I kind of realized that, you know, the nine to five was not for me. Um, I want to eventually start my own business and be financially independent and um, not really depend, you know, on a constant paycheck to paycheck. Um, So I, and then being a numbers guy, I realized how the numbers just look amazing when you're looking at real estate, especially house hacking. And so it's kind of uh, eye-popping. So I, I, I started with, um, you know, 
choose a FI and, you know, investing in um, index funds and whatnot. But then I realized that um, real estate is just a great way to diversify. And, and that's how I got interested in that. But to answer your question, um, yeah, so my, my long-term goal is, is definitely to um, become financially independent enough that I can focus on my passion. And, and this is really uh, aligned with what Patrick was saying. I'm, I want to focus on my personal wealth, you know, um, because at the end of the day, it's your fin financial wealth. Uh, it should support that personal wealth. Um, and I want to work on something I'm passionate about and start a small business. And I'm not sure what that is, but we'll see. And uh, But for now, um, my short-term goal is to um, acquire five uh, properties. And then um, we'll, see, we'll see where that goes. Great. And this is something we had talked about, uh, as Ben mentioned, as we, you know, we're, you know, doing virtual stuff, as everyone knows, you know, it's, it's weird right now with COVID and nothing like, you know, all being around the same, same room, uh, like it was pre-COVID. Uh, but, you know, the, the Denver investing community, believe it or not, it's really small. The house hacking community is even a smaller slice of that pie. So we were going to spend some more time kind of getting to know, you know, other investors or their house hackers and trying to help other people network because you can't track on a spreadsheet. Um, but just like your network, whether that's for help on resources or contractors or ideas, or, Hey, I got this weird situation or deals. Like it has such a big impact on your, on your career in real estate investing, you know, way more than index funds, a stock market that your network doesn't matter. Uh, but when it comes to like real estate investing in businesses, huge, uh, you know, huge impact on there. So want to help really get people knowing to them around the community have them back on future podcasts where they feature uh, house hacks or I'm sorry, house hack mastermind podcast or individual episodes talking about their specific house hacks and their goals. So just spend some time. So everyone's, uh, you know, contact details, names will be in the show notes. Please connect with them. Please grab it, you know, grab a virtual beer or beer one day, whatever it is like network. It's, it's great. It's a great way to go. And so you mentioned networking, Kevin, we talked, we, we talked on the phone um, a couple weeks ago before the podcast and we talked about networking. Tell me what your, th tell me, uh, <laughs> what your thoughts were about networking, let's say a, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I was flashing back to that conversation as well when Chris was bringing that up. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. A, a little bit more about my background, you know, the first probably eight or nine years of my life post-college. I was working seasonal jobs. I graduated with a natural resources degree. So I was doing trail work, spent some time up in Alaska as a fishing guide, like never had stepped foot in an office right until I was probably 30 years old. Uh, and then recently within the last two and a half years, I got a quote unquote real job. And part of that was to network. And, and I had all these friends that were networking, you know, when we were out of college and stuff. And I just thought it was such, such a fake, like horrible thing that people have to do. And I went to a few networking events for the company that I worked for and it was miserable. I hated it. Uh, and then, you know, I started getting into real estate and even just looking at deals and talking to different agents or, you know, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden I was like, man, this is actually pretty great. Like I want to talk to these people. There's 
it's more than a common interest. It's like this common bond. I think that everybody in this little world shares and it just, it makes it feel so much more genuine and authentic, which to me is, is, you know, very important. And so, yeah, I mean, now, you know, that's why I reached out about the podcast. I I never would have done this probably on any other topic that I can think of, but all of a sudden I'm here discussing with you guys kind of what's going on in my life and, and hearing about what's going on in yours and really excited to be doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes back to finding what you're interested in. And, you know, if you're having to do something for the wrong reasons, it's, it's never going to feel as good as doing it for the right reasons. So, yeah, I mean, and Chris to circle back to your original point, like I think relationships in this world, you know, from my limited experience are, are extremely important. And if you can find good people to work with, it's, you know, that's crucial, I think to success and, and it, just adds value in your life in other areas as well. Well said. Well said. So, Ben, you got the list of questions somewhere, right? Or do I have those? I got them right here. All right. Thank you for printing them out. Oh, they're on the back of the page. Huh? Yeah. Double sided. Yeah. All right. So, let's move on to some of the, the questions that um, you guys submitted beforehand. Um, the first one, I'm, and forgive me, I don't remember who who was tied to, tied to what question, but we can open up for conversation. Is um, when having multiple house hacks. There's actually it's cool because now we have, we have a couple people that have that are diving into their second or in Jeff's case four house hacks. Uh, uh, how much should you have in reserve for each property? And that was Patrick. That was Patrick. Right, that was you, Patrick. Right? Yeah, yeah. I threw that one out there. Um, and it's what's your current thought process on there? Well, so it's uh, it's changed a little bit since COVID uh, because you know I was talking with this uh, or about this with Noel one day, and I was talking about like, okay, getting into a second house hack. I'm I'm thinking about like how much money I should have on hand in cash as an emergency fund, just in case, you know, I need to replace a water heater or uh, someone doesn't pay their rent or whatever the case is. And, we, you know, we were just kind of like talking about different formulas and ways to, to calculate it. And I, I think that in that conversation, I was being uh, a little bit, I was erring on the smaller side of funds and Noel was erring on the larger side of funds. And I made the comment like, yeah, but it, let's say you have 10 properties. Like, what are the chances that something happens in the world and suddenly like people stop, like all people or all of your tenants stop paying because something happened in the world? I was like, that, the chance of that happening is so slim, uh, you know, more or less, you, you will always have rent, like tenants in your properties and there will just be like rolling vacancies that pop up here and there. And then it probably wasn't more than like a month or so later that COVID hit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, case in point. And Noah was like, yeah, remember that discussion we had the other month? Um, so yeah, it's just been something that I've been thinking a little bit more about recently as I close on number two tomorrow. Uh, and we talked with Jeff a couple of weeks ago just about it and, and threw some ideas around. Um, but I think the number that I'm going to go with is basically having six months of expenses, including the mortgage per property on hand, uh, just to 
to have that is probably on the slightly more conservative side, but given everything going on right now with COVID um, and the uh, rent extensions and things like that, I, I think I would just rather err on having more cash on hand uh, and then as COVID starts to subside, reevaluate. So I agree. One, one thing I've learned, I think I'm probably the oldest person the, on, the, on the call here by a couple years, um, is a 2008, 2006 meltdown. Um, no one back then and since that I've ever heard has complained about having too much cash in the bank. Yeah. And I, I mean, people complain, oh, I'm not making money on there. Good problem to have, but no one's ever complained about having too much money in the bank when shit hits the fan. The what ifs. Uh, the what ifs. And I, and I always agree. I'm going to ask you this question next because I, I agree with like your thought process or Patrick. I always kind of go like, hey, you know, what's the, you know, I'm always going to be like, hey, what's the low probability event that's going to wipe things out? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Like a year sucks. You have to replace the water heater in year two versus year 10, like $1,000. If that makes or breaks someone in real estate, you should not be investing in real estate. But hey, what's that low probability event that can wipe you out? But then where's that fine balance of things? Jeff, your background is, is definitely finances. You've got four house acts and I know you're doing more. What's your thought process on that? Yeah, you got to just pretty much factor it in the, like what Patrick, you were doing with Noel. You have to think of, it's all about risk, right? It's like a lot of whatever tenants you decide uh, to fill your properties, some of them will lose their jobs. Some will get reduced hours. Some will get laid off. Like you can't, they could, I've had a, uh, I think I heard a new podcast uh, from one prop manager. Someone get, like they lost their job the day after they moved in. Yeah. So this, you had a plan for things like that could happen, especially right now, or people uh, even in white collar jobs where you think they're more um, well safer than service jobs. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. So just put it into your numbers. Like I even have like like a spreadsheet where I do probabilities. Like okay, if I got. 50% rents from all my tenants, how would, how would it look? If I got uh, 0% rents from my tenants that rent out the whole units, how would that look? And just doing different scenarios where it's like worst case, um, best case, and medium case. And then just seeing, okay, like if it was worst case and 60% of my tenants, like this lost their jobs, can't, you know, there's no rent assistance, no unemployment they can get you know, how long until I deplete my cash reserves? Uh, and then medium case is like, okay, well, let's do diff- you know, different scenarios, like 50% of people um, you know, making their full payment and the other 25% making 75 and the other 25 making 50. And then seeing kind of, okay, where's that at? Like, is that, am I still positive? That, that's why I always look at, okay, how much for each property for me personally, I like to see a thousand dollars over the mortgage. Uh, but I know that's not possible for every house act. Sometimes you're right on that. If you, especially when you're living there, you're going to be probably break even uh, or a little pain a little bit. Um, but a thousand dollars is my target number just because I know gives me more security. Like, okay, if, there, if that worst case happens, I have some room to work with even at the 50% rent level, I could you know survive another 18 months uh, with my cash reserves for each of these properties um yeah just play around with um different scenario not like like so you actually ran those stress tests yeah the different scenarios and actually some of them when covid first hit i got a call literally or when they locked down everything uh 
one of my biggest tenants um, that has a four, uh, three bed, one bath. They, two of them, two of the three doll, three adults that lived there lost their jobs like the next day. Oh, um, and they um, somehow still came up with the full rent that month, actually, or the next month. And then the following months, I gave them, uh, it, you know, 70, they paid 75% rent somehow. They somehow made it work. They found a way. Uh, and now they're paying, they got their job back about a couple months ago. Uh, but you, sometimes you got to just be flexible too. You got to like, for me, I'm more, it's a people business too. You can't, I know some property managers do payment plans and very, you know, hardcore, like, okay, you're going to pay this full rent back, but I'm more realistic and people lose their jobs. People working in restaurants, especially, um, bars, restaurants, it's really tough. Like imagine having a job where you're making good money, then nothing. And then you're laid off and then you're working whatever, eight hours here, 10 hours there. And you sometimes just have to be flexible. And that's another reason why I like mixing, um, renting by the room and uh, whole unit rentals because renting by the room, it's a lot easier to make 700 bucks rent payment versus 2000 for like a whole space or 1500. Uh, so it gives you a little more leeway with people. Um, so just some, some things to think about because you'll eventually adapt what strategy works best for you. And it's all about the minute you're not going to eliminate the risk, but you'll minimize the risk to your satisfaction. And that's, I think the key thing for everyone's goals here is what will get you comfortable. You could increase your cash reserves. You could, um, you know, maybe do rent by the room to get a little more cash flow and uh, spread out. And maybe it's a little more management, the proper management intensive and you have to do more work than you want, but maybe the next six, 12 months or however long this lasts, it might be worth it. So let me ask you this. So for like, for some rules of thumb for guidance, like what would you tell people out there? Because I agree with what you said, but for someone that's, you know, a couple years behind where you're at, it's hard for them to plan that stuff. And you have a a much stronger financial background than a lot of people do. Like what's a a rule of thumb? Is it $10,000 per property? Yeah, uh, I would say if you say? have a property built, most house hacks are 1960s, 70s, like, and some of them are updated, some are not. Some have new. If your place is fully updated, um, brand new build, or like every major water heater, furnace, um, AC unit, uh, dishwasher, all the appliances are brand new, um, you won't have to repair things as much. But I've had water, like, even water heaters that are two years old go out on me. So there's no guarantee just because it's brand new. It's going to, things won't happen. Things I've had, everything go out, furnace goes out. I've had, um, and you just have to plan that. That's just going to happen. People will damage things. People, door jams will break. Um, I would say the big thing for hard and fast rule though, answer your question is um, for a property that's just your generic 1970s, kind of updated, kind of newer stuff, but not everything's not super old. And uh, I would say... Yeah, at least ten thousand per per property um, to give you some leeway, just because things will happen. Like the a tree will get struck by lightning and hit your roof. Uh, the gutters will some like you'll be surprised on what things tenants break. Tenants will and break it things. always happens right after you buy the property. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or right after you yeah spend you get like a new uh, furnace and then the next the water heat goes out. So you, the things like that will happen and your tenants. Um, you know, 
they're not, and sometimes they don't tell you for like uh they'll they'll take cold showers for like a month i had a tenant no. that did that i was like yeah you could have told me i would have fixed this water heater i had to send someone out but they yeah sometimes they don't tell you that's another thing to have good relationships with like going back to the people business having really good relationships with your tenants because you don't want them to not tell you when there's leaks or something wrong um or the you know furnace goes out and it's like christmas eve i had that that was my um oh crap moment like better get someone out there but luckily i had a good relationship with uh that tenant and they let me know and i got someone out there um because you don't want people to freeze or um you know worry or get or have space heaters too i recommend that sometimes things happen you know and you can't get someone out there right away and it's you know 10 to five degrees outside and snowing yeah I, I love how you said it's a, it's a people business. I agree with that 100%. But we're so trying to pivot a little bit. We're talking like, think about, we've been talking about the tenants losing their job, people paying your mortgage, losing their job. What about your risk tolerance for your personal job as well? I think that's yeah. something to definitely take into mind as well. If you're in, let's say, sales or, or something that's, that's based off of, um, it's, it's not a consistent income. So if you have an inconsistent income, then you definitely want to have much more reserves versus if you have a, stand, a, w, a W-2 job where it's a little bit more stable and it's a consistent income that you know you can base, you can base it off of. But for I, I have a couple rentals in, uh, out of state and then one house hack here. But my rule of thumb is four to six months per door. And then, um, for my wife and I, this is just the, Oh shit fun. We always talk about the, the, Oh shit. Cause those happen when, when you're not expecting it. Um, and that's about, I'd say about 20 extra 20,000, just cause you never know what will happen. Yeah. My, my overall, like really rule of thumb and talking about the risk tolerance, you know, I'm, I'm an agent. We're hundred percent commission based. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, you know, rentals, all that, my, like, cause I, I, I learned my financial lessons of keeping a lot more cash in the bank in 2008. So that's why I'm, uh, uh, a grandma broken record on this topic now, um, is to keep, be able to, if everything went to zero, I, everything can live for one year. That's like my, my very simple fund for everything. Just, you know, Hey, everything, uh, I lose my go to, you know, I go to zero. My wife's a W2 job. She goes to zero. Everyone stops paying. We can survive everything for one year. That that's my rule of thumb. And I'd be curious, like we don't have the exact numbers out here, but I think it's just so important. Go around the the panel here and give everyone's kind of like their their rules of thumbs are. Since we got people buying house act one, house act two, and so on. So, like silly, what's your kind of like reserve plan for your? You know, you're you're buying your first house act, and you know next year you'll be on nomad number two. Like, what's your plan? Yeah, so um, like you were saying before, I started off with two spies. So I've been, you know, hearing a lot, a lot of advice about uh, that even before I got into real estate. And um, I, I like how you say one year because a lot of the advice out there is like three months, which I don't think that's enough. Um, especially now, COVID. Like, look at how long it's been happening for. So. Um, yeah, my plan is to always have liquid funds for myself and also for, you know, for each property I plan to own. Um, 
I don't have a specific value, but I think it's it's good to calculate in terms of time. So I'd say six months for me is like a comfortable cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm lucky in that I'm in an industry in tech that I don't have to worry too much about job safety. Um, but I definitely am cognizant of the fact that my tenants might not have that job safety. So um, I'd say six months for for myself and uh, um, probably something like ten thousand dollars per per uh, door. Cool. And let me ask this because since you're into the the five movement, I know a couple of you guys are, but I I'm loosely into it, but not not hardcore. I'd say. Um, for you and everyone else, are you guys keeping anything cash in the bank or is it cash in the bank and throwing some in the stock market? Cause I know that's a, a common theme I've heard is, oh yeah, cash and throw a bunch in the stock market as well. So are you planning on keeping stuff? You said, cause you said liquid, liquid could be cash in the bank or the stock market. Yeah. So in my, I'm a nerd. I have a lot of spreadsheets about this and I, <laughs> I divided by liquid, semi-liquid and then like quasi solid. So I, I consider my um, stocks and index funds semi-liquid, especially if I've been buying some. Um, you don't want to resell stuff before a year has passed because then you're looking at a short-term capital gains. And yeah. so that's something to consider. Um, but I definitely have a bunch of quite old you know, stock investments that I can pull from. And then um, you also have to... Um, Consider your, you know, 401k, Roth IRA. Those are their worst case scenario. You don't want to touch them, but but they are there and they can give you peace of mind. Um, you know, you will pay a certain penalty in some cases. Um, and then stuff that's um, completely solid. You know, it's your um, equity in your real estate. Like that's really difficult to pull out unless you refi or something like that. So. I kind of break it down into buckets and make sure I have, um, you know, enough in each bucket. But here's always the thing to keep in mind is if, you know, if, if things really get that bad and you're in that dire situation and you need the money, banks won't lend you the money. You know, there's that, I forget the, the, the catch race for that, but like, Oh, I need to refund and pay stuff to banks. Like we're not lending money on this right now. Um, yeah. So it becomes very illiquid. All right. Noel, what do you want to add yeah. on to it? Patrick said about your guys' conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, it was funny because he didn't mention this, but I was the one that brought up what happens if none of your tenants can pay rent for six months. <laughs> like, what are the chances that that happens? And then literally COVID came the next month. Um, no, so I mean, our fault. plan. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Oh, gosh. Um, she jinxed you know, it. I did. Exactly. I'm so sorry. Um, no, our plan is we have the two buckets of six months. We have six months that we want um, of emergency funds for our properties to cover mortgage and then hopefully a little bit of buffer for um, any like things that go wrong that we need to fix. And then Patrick and I both also have a personal six-month emergency fund, which covers our living expenses. So those two things are separate. We don't combine them. Um, but six months, based on where we're at financially is the goal that we want to work to get. I think ultimately it'd be great if we could have a year on hand. Um, 
Also, seeing what happened with the stock market in COVID, personally, I am not one to consider those liquid funds. Um, I don't know about you guys, but all my stocks in retirement tanked in about two seconds. Um, so I wouldn't want to rely on those kind of reserves. So we are definitely relying on savings in the bank. So you're, you're, you're all cash. Yep. I like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, Kevin, what about you, man? Yeah, I, I think this can be a pretty complicated question. And I think there's a big difference between somebody like myself who purchased their first house hack and then somebody who has multiple properties. Um, you know, so when I went into this, I was thinking about it a lot as just a house for myself, right? And so I ran the numbers just kind of as if I were going to be living there and there were no no tenants or rent coming in. Uh, and, you know, I think there's also a difference between having a higher risk tolerance and also being reckless, right? And so I, I bought my house and probably had three months reserve where I could cover mortgage. And if, if mm -hmm. something broke, I'd be able to fix it uh, and counted on the tenants portion is kind of cherry on top, which side note is, is good because uh, there's been some issues with that since the close in COVID and everything. So that's still something we're working through, but I have a pretty aggressive savings rate. And so I've been able to still build savings while having to cover uh, the more Mortgage payments and I'm hoping for a windfall with, you know, some rental assistance or whatever that comes out to be at the end. Um, but, you know, I almost got caught in the trap of I, I was able to get some grants for the purchase. And so I knew that my purchasing power kind of was boosted by that a little bit. And I started thinking about, you know, would it be worth it to push uh, my I guess the, the price range I was looking at to the very high end to try and take advantage of some of these programs. And, and, you know, hopefully that would work out in the long run and have, you know, a more expensive asset appreciate more over, over the next 20, 30 years. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that I dialed it back and kept it kind of more in the conservative range for this one. But I think, you know, it's easier to do that if it's your own personal house as well as your rental. But then once you start thinking about having a pure rental that started as a house hack and then purchasing a second home as well, I think the, the idea of having, I guess, a bigger cushion for those reserve funds probably becomes a lot more important. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know, you know, I didn't have any set numbers, I, I was comfortable and I, I tried to be conservative, you know, and have a few months and, and enough cash to deal with anything major that were to come up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's not 10 grand or, you know, I'd probably maybe be in trouble if I lost my job for a year, that would definitely be, that would yeah. cause some, some pretty major problems. Awesome. So we got everyone. Did you share yours, Ben? Uh, yeah, it was, it was just discussing, um, your risk tolerance on your job. That's right. You gave your numbers. Your right. risk tolerance on that job. But, uh, yeah. And I would, I mean, we'll kind of move on to the next question here, but for just, you know, anyone out there listening, like, I know this is a very boring topic, but boring is important in investing and boring wins in the long run. So like pay attention to it, reach out to anyone on your all of our, you know, different philosophies, uh, but make sure you have your game plan together and make sure it's written down you execute on there. And I will stop on that for a few minutes.
Mr. Uh, Einsbar. All right. What is next on I the question? It is um, Kevin's. Was um, he wanted to discuss the value of using a real estate agent that is familiar with um, house hacking and real estate investing principles? Um, I know when we discussed on the phone, you kind of um, told me about your current house hack situation. Do you kind of want to touch on that, the background behind this question? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, these are all lessons that I learned in hindsight as I think most lessons are learned, but, um, <laughs> basically, uh, yeah. So, you know, I was going through this process. I was looking for a duplex, uh, the realtor that I used was, was good, but you know, not focused on investor related properties, I guess. So, you know, trying to find somebody their dream home rather than something that's, that's going to really be a good fit for a house hack. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, Ben, we had discussed, like there were tenants that I inherited that were having issues paying rents, you know, for the two months before we closed on the property, it was never disclosed. So there's some issues, uh, that we're dealing with now on that front. But the bottom line is, you know, I think the whole process, I went into a little naively where, you know, I was the one that was looking at these properties and sending them to the realtor, trying to get showing set up. And, and I realized after the fact that it'd be a lot more efficient and helpful to have somebody with a lot more experience that could quickly identify, you know, if this is truly a good deal or not, kind of identify some of the issues that might not make it a good deal. And and on the flip side of that, you know, Chris, I'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, but I would assume that somebody that kind of lives in that world of finding investment properties and dealing with, with people uh, that are looking for that and also that are selling investment properties probably have you know, some more deals they might be able to find or come across that are off market that might be good for a house hack or, you know, whatever it may be. So I think there's, there's a lot of value that, that I didn't inherently think about in having a good or, and it's not even good, right? It's just different. This is kind of a specialized uh, view on properties. So I think it's more having somebody that's, that's dealt with this and is very experienced in this world could really, really make the process a lot simpler and, and, you know, kind of remove some of the roadblocks that you might face with somebody who's not thinking with that same mindset. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, like I said, you, you know, you know, you learn a few lessons there. I mean, so for like, you know, from, from our perspective, I mean, we, we definitely get a lot of clients that reach out to us directly wanting to, Hey, you know, we're very clear on, Hey, we focus on my, my current tagline right now is we'll help you build your dream portfolio not buy your dream home. Um, I realized that really early on that when people want to buy their home, I do not have the patience for them. Cause I'm like, Oh, you told me one of this. You like the color of that, that the bathroom, you can paint the damn bathroom. And it's not very good people skills. Um, doing that way where it's more like when you do the numbers, it's more like, Hey, cool. Here are the numbers. And then investors can generally get past like, okay, they don't care about the paint or they're open to being educated about. It's a lot less emotional. Um, so the two things I've noticed is that, you know, you will not get generally speaking off market deals by working with like, uh, an investor focused agent for house acts. Like we definitely see off market deals. We may have done one off-market house hack this year. I don't actually think we did. I'm trying to remember if we did. 
um, just because the, the off-market stuff is just really tough for an owner-occupant, especially if you're doing like, you know, an owner-occupant for a single family, or if you're doing an FHA for a multifamily, just due to the speed of it and also the quality of the property. Like a lot of times these off-market, they're going to be in, in, you know, poor quality, a lot of times a quicker close. Hard to do, especially for a first-time house hacker, because he's got to, number one, like there's actually work for the, you know, if you're doing a 30 day close FHA, it's hard to compete against five cash offers. Um, not impossible, but it's, it's hard on off market world where they're usually looking for another investor coming to buy cash, not be nitpicky. And plus, especially for like, if you're a first time house hacker, which usually means a first time home buyer, there's that learning curve there. Uh, I would rather have someone pay $10,000 more in purchase price and understand the process understand the property versus do a quick closing up being a bad property because you know ten thousand twenty thousand dollars a grand scheme for buy and hold doesn't really matter when you talk the numbers um but also we've had our fair share of clients where they've um come through and so i'll work with the agent and then we couldn't find anything it, it was frustrating so it's all pros and cons in my mind i would just say because i know a lot of people for agents and i'll send to lenders as well um you know like everyone has a sister's friend or a cousin or a buddy or someone that's an agent or a lender. Everyone has that. Um, and don't mean this impersonally. Don't help out your friend, help out yourself. I did it for myself with, with friends in their industries and like, Hey, cool. We're buddies, but I need to work with someone else on this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely worthwhile. I'm obviously biased on here. But uh, yeah, I mean, doing that and understanding the game, because the other thing that people end up doing on, especially that first time home buyers, they get so excited. And I did that myself, my first, my very first house hack I did, my one and only house hack I did um, and about 10 years ago was when I renovated, I way over improved it for a rental. And you get said, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. It's like, no, it's a future rental property. Don't worry about this. Like it does not matter. And we definitely have that conversation frequently with people. It's like, hey, cool, I get it. Let's plug in the spreadsheet because this right here, it does not matter to your future tenants. And that's how I always look at it. I, I think yeah. we could go on for yeah. for this. This could be a whole uh, a whole series on it. But <laughs> before I answer, like, so I'm not going on too long. Before I answer a question, I want to pose another question: Is for, for your first house hack, when you're getting ready to do the offers, how many of you had cold feet and were starting to second guess your your own self and your numbers? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that, awesome. Someone, would you agree? Um, yeah. So it, it's funny how <clears throat> this is very related to the question at hand. Um, working with a uh, you know, in, investor friendly uh, agent, because that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I, I was, I just jumped into it, you know, kind of naively. Um, and then my agents back in Seattle were just showing me whatever, didn't have any Excel sheets, didn't really have calculate any numbers. And the only time they got interested and excited was when uh, I was interested in something that was <clears throat> very expensive. Um, and then... <laughs> I was like, okay, um, let me, I got the kind of cold feet and then I started running the numbers. I'm like, I'm going to be bleeding $3,000 per month. Even if I occupy all the, all the rooms here in this, it was a quad. So that's when I realized, okay, um, maybe this is not a good idea. And, uh, 
and then later i i became much more um you know focused on finding an agent that's actually specializing in this and i actually reached out to to chris and and his team and it was night and day um <clears throat> the level of expertise the level of advice i got so i think it makes a really huge difference getting an agent that um, are familiar with with you know investing or do it themselves as well, and that that's that's exactly what I was getting after. Is I remember Alice and I having cold, uh, getting nervous, like because it it seems so uh, such an overwhelming process, especially if the house hack that you're getting needs renovations. It just it's like drinking from a water hose. But when you have an agent that is familiar, because and uh, real estate investing is a niche, but then house hacking is a niche with it with within a niche. So they really help you push forward and really focus on the numbers and detach yourself from the emotional side of things and actually knowing that it what it's going to produce and how what it's going to do for your future financial position. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll just um, jump in really quick because I have a, a very similar story, both the, the agent and the lender side. Um, so when I before I got this place, uh, it was just house number one. I had saved up money and found out about Chris um, online. Somehow I figured exactly how. But basically went to him, and in my mind, I was set on getting either duplex or triplex and using my FHA loan. I was like, all right, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm ready to roll. So I remember meeting up with Chris, and, uh, you know, kind of laying out like what I've been thinking. And he goes, yeah, that's great. There are no multifamilies in the market right now. And there haven't been for like eight months. And I was like, oh, all right. This, uh, this changes things. And, uh, I remember we walked one, out, we walked that one duplex thing. It was in Inglewood. Remember that piece of crap? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So then Chris brought out the idea of like, you know, one of the ways you can still do this and meet your goals is by looking for a single family home with a mother-in-law suite. And that was an option that I had never even really thought about before. And so he's like, you know, just keep an eye out. We'll keep an eye out together. We'll look for something. Um, so I think it was like the next week or so we went out one day and saw two properties. One was a single family home with a mother-in-law suite and then the duplex that he just mentioned. Uh, and I'm hoping that this goes down in Chris's book as like the fastest deal he's ever done because I wasn't even pre-qualified and was like, yeah, I like that single family home. He's like, all right, cool. We'll put an offer on it and see what happens. So it turns out it was already under contract, put a backup offer on it after just seeing the two properties uh, and the backup offer got accepted and went through. And that's what ended up being my, my first house hack. Um, and then now that I've gone into house hack number two, uh, similar story to what we were just talking about, um, we have a, a friend who is a lender and I was like, Oh sweet, you know, can get, can get him some business. So I uh, ended up going with him initially, but I, I think that to no fault of him or his, his firm, uh, they're just much more familiar with traditional single family homes. Um, and the property that I'm closing on tomorrow has an ADU on it. And so everything was going smoothly. Uh, but the, the appraisal came back and the appraisal came back really low. Uh, and it was to the point where it was just like, they weren't able to fund the deal. Um, and so it was at that moment that I was like, okay, I, that we can either kill the deal or I can, uh, go to a different letter. So, um, Joe Massey was the guy that I used for my first house hack. So I went back to Joe, um, 
and him and his team are much more familiar with the, the house hack situation and multifamilies in general. And they were able to get it done in record time. They sent a new appraiser out, rushed it. Uh, it actually came in over the offer price, which is stellar because then there's some, some built-in equity in it. Uh, but it was just like wild to see basically like a $90,000 swing in the appraisal price just based off of two different appraisers. Um, so I think that alone goes to show like the value of working with a team that truly understands investment properties and house hacking properties. Yeah. And to build on that too, like, you know, I think Patrick and I have been fortunate that Patrick did a lot of research before he got into house hacking. And that's why he reached out to Chris. So we went into the house hack having the documents that Chris shared with us to be able to plug in numbers and understand the cap rate and understand like what we were getting into. So that's why I'm shaking my head. No, we didn't have that question of numbers is because we did the Patrick did the planning beforehand and we had the opportunity to be confident in what that was before we went into the deal and had a team to back us up. There have been many times during our search where, you know, Preston has walked in a house and been like, nope, like turn around. This is not the one for you guys. And that knowledge and that type of honesty is invaluable. Like it is totally needed when you're doing something like this. So yeah, I remember Patrick, you know what you just said, this gave me a flashback the first time we met Patrick. And I, after, I don't know, 10 minutes, I was sitting down, I was like, oh, I like this guy because you broke out your laptop with a spreadsheet everything. I was like, oh, yeah, I like you. No, no, when we first just said kind of like your initial meet and greet meeting, because yeah. um, we were talking, we said, oh, I got my spreadsheet, here's my plan, here's numbers. So I was like, all right, good. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> know, why knowing is half the battle. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So I know we're uh, getting close to the hour mark, and I think we got definitely time for one more question here. What's next, Ben? Well, Jeff, do you want to talk about raising rents or um, uh, staying unattached from investment properties, like an ideal home versus a rental home? The latter is uh, unattached. That's probably more important. Uh, well, yeah, go, go, well, go, that go. we can talk I'll, about that quickly. I'll I mean, go back, yeah. yeah but the, the rents right now, let's talk about that too if we have time. So, yeah. So, any house that any property you do rent, you just got to know, and especially in Denver, the, the, the timing. It's all about, if, especially for Patrick and Noel, since you guys are closing coming up, you just got to know that it's, it's going to be a little tougher right now because we're approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all the holiday season. <laughs> Um, and then on top of that, then you have all those cold months. So a lot of people don't move, uh, November, December, January, February, and even throw in March too, just because of, I believe that's the snowiest season, uh, on average, um, snowiest month, sorry. Um, so just factor that in to your numbers that you're going to have lower. You probably won't get the rents that you want. You're going to have to probably just get... 50 to $100 less, sometimes even more, just depending uh, how soon you want to get it rented. Sometimes it's a question of like, do I want to, I don't want to rent it uh, by you know, December 1st? Or do I want to push for this, this, you know, this max rent here um, and wait two more months, three more months? Because you, you, you might get someone that will agree to the higher rent, but is it worth it for your place to sit unoccupied for two months? That's the question to think about. So yeah. uh, with the seasonality and rents, do you find that true with the room by room rentals yes. too, as far as like uh, vacancy time and yeah. rent them out? Yeah. Like even 
or uh, with the rip by the room. Yeah, I, I would say right after October first. Um, if you don't, if you're trying to rent by the room. You're going to have also some seasonality. You, you can still find people, and I have found people in the winter time. Um, you're just not going to get the you know seven fifty, eight hundred, eight fifty per room, um, unless it's like a super like if you just rent out like the master and it's like okay eight hundred like unless you go in with maybe you're underpricing what you're getting and like and you don't know that but like master rooms with bathrooms you should get at least eight fifty nine hundred uh private rooms are ten by twelve probably seven hundred seven fifty um even in older properties basement rooms probably six fifty seven hundred for just a standard private room shared bathroom um so those are kind of the ballpark numbers you can work with but yeah seasonality definitely factors in. So that 750 room, you're probably looking at 650, 700 for that same room. And really? Yeah. Just cause there's, there's just not as many people moving. Um, even millennials, they still move here, but, uh, the only ways around it is you're going to have to really push your, like, if you want that 750, you can get it. You're just going to have to really ramp up your marketing. Like you're, you're going to have to pay for Facebook ads. You're going to have to post on Roomster. You're going to have to really, maybe reach out to people, be a little more aggressive and not rely on them coming to you and you might get it, but just don't go in at the realization like, well, uh, if you're not getting 10 to 20 responses right away from your listing, um, then you're probably priced too high. And that's in the winter time, you're not going to, you're not going to get as much after October 1st. So doing the more, you know, proactive, you know, outreach approach and spending some money on, you know, some, some advertising yeah. in your experience is always that like you can do it, but is the juice worth the squeeze? Is, it, is all the time and money spent, is that worth it to get the extra $50 a month in rent for six months? Like would, if you're renting a place, you know, week after Thanksgiving, yeah. would you say, cool, I'll rent for 75 bucks less than I performed and take care of in the spring? Or would you put the time and money to try to get the 750 mark? I would just rent it for the lower amount and then put it a uh, shorter six month lease. And then when it comes up for renewal, uh, either if that person's great, actually, I, I usually keep people. I have a guy renting a room for six fifty right now in a bigger room. He's a great tenant, keeps the place clean, picks up after himself, and I have no reason to raise his rent um, unless he moves out. And then I'll rent it for market when he moves out. So it really just depends. Um, if you find to me, great tenants are worth less rent than crappy tenants, and you get in the max, and they you know treat your place like trash and they don't pick up like they always cook, they leave their shoes around, you know, they make a big mess. Uh, but yeah, just factor. It's all about just, again, going back to scenarios, like what, how soon do you, if you're not getting responses right away from your listing, especially in the wintertime, you're probably priced, you're priced too high. Simple as that, even with great pictures. Um, or you're going to have to push, you're going to have to do more of the effort yourself. But if you have full-time job, it's like, well, just get it rented as soon as possible. It's better to get it rented at $100, $200. If you rented a whole unit for uh, Patrick and Noel, Noel's case, like that, uh, you guys are living in the ADU, correct? Or you're renting well, out No, so it's two different properties. So uh, mine has the ADU. I'll be living in the main house, renting out the okay. ADU. And then Noel is going to be in a different property, renting out by room. Correct. Yeah. So you guys live in the main house, rent out the ADU. So like the ADU one, uh, yeah, if you don't find someone, quickly like don't just hold off like hold your guns like oh i want the 1200 bucks a month for that adu um it's a beautiful i remember seeing pictures of it. it's beautiful uh but pictures you could get the best photographer you can get 
the best description. Most people, for one, only read a few sentences of the description. Uh, so don't ever assume you could, don't spend too much time on that. Uh, pictures are more important. And timing is the most important. If you rent in April, May, June, July, August, uh, those are the best months. And that's where all your leases, aim for all your leases to end in those months. And yep. you'll get the highest rents when you do have to re-lease. And the most interest. And the last thing, the, the asterisk right now with COVID is just expect everything's going to take a little bit longer. It might be a little bit less. Like I bought a rental last month. I had some issues with my fourplex change management. And I'm expecting everything. Cool. You know what? I'm just budgeting. Vacants will be higher. Rents might be a little bit less. Just deal with it. It's that micro thing that not to get worried about the big picture. Like, cool. I might lose a few bucks this year, but in the long run, I still win. Yeah, vacancy costs more than $100 less per month than your unit yeah. or your space. That's the biggest takeaway I, I think as well is, is I'd rather take the less rent than wait and maybe you, uh, take some months to fill it. And that could be, well, for my case, it's a little different. It's, I'm dealing with vacancy in, in Omaha. So it's, I, I have a W-2 job. I can't just fly out there and get it filled. I... I have to pay for someone to do it. So I'd, I currently am at below market and I'd rather have it below market with current good tenants I have in it versus rate, kick it up a hundred bucks a month yeah. and then have them then, then now that's kind of what the situation I'm currently in right now is, is trying to keep the tenants that are, that pay on time, have automatic payments, take care of it, put up the Christmas lights uh, at Christmas. They, they enjoy it. And so what if it's, if it's 100, 150 below market value, it's the peace of mind. And you can't put, my, you can't put a, a price to peace of mind knowing that every month you don't have to worry about rent coming in. It's automatically set up on automatic payments and that they're taking care of the place. And if something does come up, they'll let you know right away. Yes. Yeah, good tenants, uh, I guess from my lessons learned from all my tenants is maximizing rents is great and you should aim for that every time you have a vacancy. But a good tenant, if you're getting a little bit less or you know, maybe not what you have in your um, pro forma, that's totally fine because it's a long game. We're all playing here and eventually they will move out. Most, uh, most tenants, uh, I don't know what the number is on that maybe chris knows or has a prop manager find like the average stay for tenants it really depends on like the asset class and the tenant quality like you know a lot of times i know a lot of people like you know they say i want to buy like a really nice home and like the suburbs a place they want to live a lot of times those are tenants like they're in and out in a year because they're moving here and then they've got the ability to go out there and buy homes so, hey they'll move here for a year it's on a year lease and then they buy homes they're in and out a year and if that's a you know five hundred thousand dollar house in Middleton, that's that's some bigger turn costs. Um, now, if you look at uh, like Section Eight government vouchers, I forget the exact amount that uh, Ellie, my PM, told me. I think she said like their average they say is like four point five years. So it really depends. Wow. I have no data on room by room rental, so maybe oh. you can start collecting that. Um, I think my average. It's about even though I usually start with six month leases, a lot of them stay longer. Uh, but yeah, on average, it's about eight, nine months. Yeah. So yeah, some people stay well over a year and some people leave after six months because um, they're more transitory rent by room people in general. Um, so that's the reality. So I know when they move, so sometimes I'm okay with having a, um, 
getting a little bit less in rent, depending on, you know, if it's wintertime or fall, winter. Um, and then I know springtime, if they do move, like, okay, sweet. I get, you know, hundred dollars extra yeah. per month, um, for this one room. Um, and then it equals out in the end and it's, it's, it's totally, uh, that's just part of it. You know, you're going to have vacancies and the key thing for everything, all this is, you know, if you're going to self-manage it is picking out, having a really good screening process and picking out great tenants and it'll make your lives a lot easier. And you could probably do uh, handle a lot more properties than you realize until you need a full-time property manager. If you like dealing with people. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're all in the people business, right? Yeah, exactly. So random question here, Patrick, I know, or Patrick, no, we were emailing back and forth a few weeks ago, uh, the air DNA reports, which is like a, a, a comping tool for, um, Airbnb short-term rental reports. Are you guys leaning towards short-term rental or long-term rental for the ADU? So it's, it's Lakewood. So you technically can't do short-term, um, for the ADU. So we're looking at doing medium term, uh, so oh, 30, okay. 30 plus day. Um, and so far, uh, the other night, sat down, put the description, um, got it all set up, and there's currently one person who is already set up to come in like November 15th uh, for 32 days. So hopefully oh, that sweet. continues to work out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what's the rent you have of that, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, Noelle was fiddling with the numbers on that one, so she'd probably speak better to it. Yeah, we have it on like the flex rate for Airbnb. So it's anywhere from forty nine to fifty five dollars a night, which roughly comes out to fifteen hundred to like almost eighteen hundred for a month, basically. Damn, that's nice. great. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And do you have a list of like for two people? Is it like a what do you have to do like a futon in there, or you actually do a full bed? We're going to do a queen size bed, um, and it'll be fully furnished with everything, which will be nice. And then we're also allowing pets because it's on a big piece of acreage. So I think that's also a helpful draw. Our hope is that with the medium term, with those people that are coming in who can buy a house or are traveling nurses, they need one to two months. Um, so we're hope we don't mind that turnover. We're actually hoping to have that turnover just so that we can have people in for the shorter time period, get a little bit more cash for that time period. Um, and then find a group on for cleaning until we find a good service that we like. So you just gave me uh, or that made me think of a random idea for you and maybe Ben and other people out there, but I, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, it was a handful of clients moving out of state or moving out of state here to, to Colorado. And I often advise people, okay, don't, don't buy sight unseen for house act, like come out and rent for a bit. Um, maybe doing medium term rentals or sticking them with one of you guys might be a good idea. Um, <laughs> send them our way. It's my mind. I don't know why I didn't think about that like five years ago. Um, but I'm like, hey, just come, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, buy a place, do that, but get the boots on the ground because the market moves fast. Learn here, like I, I like people generally like to move here first. Mm -hmm. uh, more often than I say, about eighty percent of our clients do that are out of state. The other twenty percent are good with with the you know doing it side on or in the long distance. But we should talk about that offline. That's an excellent idea. <laughs> My mind's yeah. My mind, yeah. I like that. Good. Um, cool. Well, I know we are just over an hour, which is a little bit longer. We had time slots for any last minute questions, thoughts, anything anyone out there wants to throw in there. I know the last topic was mine. So selfishly, um, I just want to throw it out there because I know that yes. it has seemed that women have a harder time getting into house hacking based on the amount of men I'm surrounded by right now and what I'm hearing from Kevin and <laughs> also Jeff. Um, 
I do. It was a struggle for me to figure out dream home, which I had always envisioned my first home still being one I wanted to live in versus what a rental home is. So I just want to throw it out there that if you guys do have questions or if anyone listening has questions, I'm happy to open my, uh, you know, wisdom and knowledge to you of how I got past that. <laughs> well, share it for a few minutes. We always got time for that. Get, oh. give it, and I have to, I have to, cause I think, can't remember the, can't remember if it was the first time we met, but this was, it, it might've been, or might've been the second time, but um, it, your, your evolution is very interesting as we've been talking about this, because can't remember, for some reason, I, I wouldn't stop by Patrick's house back in, in Lakewood. I think oh, I was thinking to drop off some of those tools. He was gone on like this Saturday morning. And there you are like putting the blue, uh, the blue uh, painting tape down, generating the paint for the weekend. Well, I don't know, Patrick's I'm sure like, on like a 40 hour, like bachelor booze cruise, having a time of his life. <laughs> right, Patrick. Uh, maybe not quite that <laughs> uh, for house hacking, but you, you were like a really good partner for house hacking. Cause, uh, that was an interesting evolution. You were doing that. At what point that study on house hacking and all that? Cause that was just one of my friends. Is that the first time we met? I think it was. That was the first time we met. And I was still hesitant at that point to be completely honest. I hadn't seen the house that Patrick had bought. And I was a little upset about it because he had asked me to move in and I was like, I'm moving into a house I've never seen. What if I don't like it? And it wasn't my dream home. Um, so I was like, Oh my gosh. Like there's a chain link fence around this house. Ew. Like, I don't like that. It's not updated. Ew. Like the doors don't have any trim. Ew. But when he explained it to me and, and talked about, I know. <laughs> and then when we talked about the numbers and when he told me how much I would have to pay him in rent, I was like, Oh, okay. Tell me more. This might work. <laughs> Um, but yeah so the journey was interesting because honestly i think this first house hack really helped open my eyes to um how beneficial it could be and like i said my entire savings for the down payment that i'm putting on and i scraped using an fha because it was a struggle to get a house with an fha loan in the current market um and i wouldn't have had that down payment if it weren't for being able to have the savings in this house and i think that was a big turning point for me because you know, we're sharing the place with someone else. We can hear noises through the vent, sometimes scents that we don't love. But at the end of the day, it doesn't ruin our sanity enough um, to overcompensate for financially what we're gaining uh, yeah. and how we can move forward. Patrick did a ton of work in this house, though. So we have learned a lot. And I think that's opened our eyes for ones moving forward as well as what we can do together um, as a team in terms of updating and, and uh, fixing things and what we're not willing to do. All right. So what other, what other, cause this is always good. Cause I, I get this conversation a lot too. I mean, Ben, we've talked about this. Yeah. Um, whether, what are the last bit tips you can give to boyfriends and husbands listening to this to talk to their significant others or to women directly do, do the sales pitch. <laughs> oh um, goodness. I wasn't prepared for the sales pitch. <laughs> it's no, this is not a sales pitch. It's just all <laughs> about before you even start communication identifying whose role is what and knowing that you have an end in mind and you have something in mind. And for us, we knew it was an investment, but we did put our, our blood, sweat and tears into because we remodel it and it's an Airbnb and Allison is excellent at decorating and furnishing. So we do have that attachment to it, but it was because we put all it's all of our work. I'm sure just like, cause you, you guys said you did a lot of work on it, but it's, it's all about knowing what your guys' goals are and having the end in mind and just, just communicating because 
in the middle of summer when you're trying to remodel a bathroom without AC, it can get tough, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's, it's 100% worth it. And I wish Allison was here to chime in on it. because She'd have a lot better things to say. No, but you're right. It's about knowing that what you are working towards in the future. Um, I'm also a project manager for me. I want to know like, okay, we're doing this because in 10 years, this is what it gets us. So to your point, it's, you know, having that common goal in mind and knowing what you guys want out of your future um, and being able to express how the health hacking helps you get to that point, even if there's a couple struggles um, along the way. And it's the difference of being able to get there in five years versus 30 years. Yeah. And, and going exactly going back to the communication and, and understanding whose role is, for example, we have an Airbnb. Allison does all the communication because she's very good at putting together charming, good messages to guests where otherwise I'd be like, I would just say, welcome. Hi, here's a passcode. And it would, it would, and then that's where we've just identified what our strengths are, what our, what our weaknesses is. And and making a good team because that's what you are is, is you're a team right yeah i've done it with my partner too uh and i think that's the key thing is you have to persuade them that it's a team effort it's not just only for yourself it's for both of you and that's where the dynamic changes where we all have our strengths and weaknesses but if you do it together um it's uh you, you kind of uh, have that share goal in mind and then you're both are fully committed and uh, want to aim for that and accomplish it and get to that end goal. Um, whatever that goal is for each of you. Um, and that's probably sometimes tougher, but uh, if you find a partner that um, my partner's cool, cause she, um, so like she does a little bit, she doesn't mind it. She actually is more handy than I am. <laughs> I'd rather, uh, I don't want to change the light bulb. I don't want, the only thing I want to do is like paint and that's really it. And I, and I'm not even really good at that, but I, I just say I am. Um, but she'll do everything. She'll literally put tile down. She'll like put baseboard. She'll, she'll work for like eight hours straight. And then like outside pulling weeds. And I'm complaining after five minutes, I'm too <laughs> hot. And that's, uh, that's that's what makes us great. It's like I, I still help, of course, but uh, she'll she's all in, and that's um, sometimes that's cool. sometimes hard to find because you don't really know someone. <clears throat> uh, well, you know, I didn't know she was going to be like that, but if you find that, cherish that because that's a very rare trait. And the better you treat your your lady, uh, you'll accomplish your goals a lot faster. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, everyone. Thanks for uh, hopping on here. I enjoyed it. I can't wait till we do the stuff in person again. Uh, but we'll be seeing a lot of these guests on future podcasts talking specifically about their own house acts. That's one of the goals I have to start bringing more people, talk more nuances on their deals. And if you guys have questions out there, I mean, reach out to me, reach out to anyone on the, um, the podcast episode here, the mastermind. Uh, you know, this is a great way to network, learn, share ideas because it does like help everyone reach their goals. And like I have my strengths, I ask, I ask Jeff a lot of times for questions. Uh, I ask Ben, I ask other people, like you all help each other out and ends up getting everyone to the finish line. So everyone, thanks a lot. Thanks everyone. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. 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 Than